Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. We got a double header today. It's January 31st, last day of the month, and we just got done with a great interview with Jonathan Galea from BCAS. Uh, but today we're going to talk about a, a like an interesting concept in crypto that's recently popped up, and that's the coincidence of once. Uh, and today we have on the perfect guest to talk about that. We have Felix from CalSwap. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm great. Um, so I have been following CalSwap for a while. You guys have been building some very cool systems that allow for uh, essentially a person to uh, send out an intent of what they want to do, right? So I want to swap ETH for USDC. I want to trade some meme coin for, I don't know, something, right? and it gets filled right like the order goes out and it kind of gets filled uh, and this kind of like wraps into a broader question of okay well a lot of people have these these wants they want to be able to swap from one asset to another they want to be able to use certain DeFi protocols they want to, they have intents right i think is the marketing term that we've been calling it uh, but the system that we're using right now is quite inefficient when it comes to matching those wants and so that's where CalSwap comes in and I guess you guys have been looking at that a little bit more deeply uh, and trying to figure out how you can match those wants uh, across the EVM. So welcome. Yeah, um, glad to be here. Do you, do you want me to explore a bit more on the on the on the intro that you that you gave or um, is? Yeah. Do you, you, yeah. Okay. Um, because yeah, you were you're you're mentioning the um, intents already, and and ironically, um, our journey actually didn't start um, with intents. Our journey started primarily with the observation that the um, existing ways of trading assets on on Ethereum on DeFi generally um, were kind of broken and and lend themselves to what is um, broadly known as MEV, maximally extractable value, or um, basically uh, games where more sophisticated parties observe what kind of transactions less sophisticated parties are doing and then trying to reorder transactions or insert transactions on their own to um, exploit the um, slippage tolerance or you know, price deviation tolerance that, that those parties have. And, um, you know, the kind of fundamental uh, flaw in our um, minds was that within the same Ethereum block, we observe multiple trades on the same token pair with different prices. Um, so if you were buying Ether with USDC today on Uniswap, for instance, and I was buying Ether for, with USDC on Uniswap in the very same instant of time, we get included in the very same block then we would still have different execution prices because uh, either one of us would go first. And so um, one would get the, the previous spot price on, on the AMM and whoever goes second would get um, the slightly worse price. Um, and so now if you're the validator or somebody else that's observing these kind of behaviors, you can make sure that you're always in the position that gets the better price and put the less sophisticated user in the position where they get the worst price. So you buy low, you sell high, atomically within the same block and get like a somewhat risk-free arbitrage. And so the idea that we had very early on when we were still part of the Gnosis ecosystem was to build a, an exchange where every asset just has a single price per block. And so uh, if two people buy the same asset in the same block, it doesn't matter in which order they get executed, they will get the exact same clearing price. 
Now, in the traditional Ethereum kind of transaction-based model, this is not possible. Um, if you have a signed transaction, I have a signed transaction, there's no way how the validator could unbundle those and make sure that you know we kind of get the same execution price. Um, and so the means to actually achieving this type of system was for us to stop people from sending signed transactions that have to be included exactly as they are, but instead signing intents, what they are now called trade intents, basically just saying, I want to exchange this asset for that asset. And here's my limit price. I don't care exactly how it's how it's done. I don't care if you go to Uniswap or SushiSwap, or if you find another user that actually wants to do the opposite trade. And, um, and yeah, basically, this is how the system was born and and intents, um, yeah, as you as you um, kind of alluded to already, uh, lend themselves to this concept of coincidence of once, um, if you were buying ether in the same block and i was selling ether in that block then instead of us both trading against an amm and paying for gas paying for lp fees and paying price impact we can just kind of meet at the middle meet at the spot price and 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 trade with one another peer-to-peer -peer. and that yeah gives us a structural price improvement that no other kind of on-chain decks can 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 provide to users at the moment and that's kind of where the name also cowswap comes from and what's kind of our um yeah one of our main uh, unique selling points i'd say yeah, the way that I understand it is more of a sense of like market orders and limit orders when you're talking about like a normal like central limit order book, like a club. Uh, like before something like CowSwap came along and we had quote unquote intense, everybody was just making market orders, right? They were just firing off these like taker orders because they're taking, right? I mean, you take, 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 take. And so the more sophisticated players on the who are in this ecosystem uh, would, like you said, like determine the order of those uh, take transactions uh, so that they could profit the most, uh, that it essentially turns it into this exploitive uh, payment for order flow style system. Uh, and now with, with CowSwap, we now have a, uh, a way to do quasi limit orders where you can broadcast the in state of what you want to get to. Like I have some ETH, I want to swap it for some USDT or USDC. Uh, and then somebody else can come and fill that when the when it makes sense, right? When there's an opportunity or arbitrage that they can engage in. Uh, and so then you no longer become the taker, you now become the maker for that order. So it, it switches everybody around in how they participate. Um, yes, that's 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 a good way to think about it. I, I would say though that um, even before CarSwap, the concept of limit order existed, and and Xerox orders, for instance, are um, limit orders that have been around much longer than CarSwap. I think the the concept that CarSwap um, brought along was giving people price improvements on their limit prices mm. on their limit orders. So so in in you know, historically, if you had a arresting zero X limit order to let's say sell ETH when it hits $3,000, then uh, as soon as ETH would reach or climb above $3,000, some sophisticated market maker might come in and settle your order, but they would have zero incentive to give you the current fair market price. And you know, let's say the price of Ether went from 2,999 to 3,010 then um, you would get matched at your limit price, which is 3000. And uh, even if there was another resting limit order that wanted to sell, uh, sorry, that wanted to buy Ether um, at you know, maybe 2900, then that, that market uh, maker would you know, buy low, sell high, and again, make this, make this, make this profit. Um, and then uh, maybe, yeah, to, in consequence, like who actually the, the profit is not 
even captured by the market maker that is that is that is trying to fill these coincidence of ones kind of historically they actually have to bribe most of their profit to the um, validators to make sure that they actually get the right to include their transaction not some other market maker who also sees this arbitrage and, and wants to take it yeah and the novel thing that that cowswap um brought along was this with this idea of surplus and um, not giving somebody the right to execute a batch or an arbitrage or a set of orders based on how much bribe they pay to the validator but instead turning that optimization criterion around and saying you get priority if you pay more value to the user than your competitors um, and and that value to the user is captured or is measured in um, price improvement um, on top of your limit price. And so let's assume we have two solvers in the Cowswap ecosystem that both see your order wanting to um, sell Ether at $3,000. Ether has jumped to $3,005. Then whatever solver gives you the better price, so let's say $3,004.99, is the solver that will get the right to execute the batch and thus be have access to the arbitrage opportunity, but shifting the value to the user instead of to the validators. So when we talk about trade-offs in this system, right? So in the in the previous system, like the just uh, I guess monolithic Uniswap v2 system, uh, you had transaction order uh, transaction order routing, uh, but you know there's a level of I guess uh, independence in those transactions uh, where the user essentially builds them themselves, fires them off. And uh, you know, just th they're in charge of the execution. But here we have CalSwap, which is now uh, taking those orders and and putting them into its own routing system. Uh, you have the solvers who are competing in an auction to essentially fill those orders. Uh, and so there there takes a level of independence away from it. And it also takes uh, these orders don't have to be filled from uh, an LP, right? Somebody could have just their own. Uh, like um, stash of, of ETH or USDC, which they could fill from their own uh, wallets. And so it, it changes the dynamic a little bit of, of how orders are solved. I mean, you could even have you could even have assets that are on like a centralized exchange that are used to fulfill these orders. Uh, so like, what do you think about this change in the, I guess, market structure dynamics of how the different parties are related and about how they're executing transactions here? Yeah. So I think you're saying it takes um, some independence away from the user. I think it also abstracts a lot of complexity away from the user. Um, you know, making sure that you actually craft a transaction in the best possible way and then submit it in a manner that where you don't overpay, but also don't get um, basically value extracted is a, is a non-trivial task. And basically just saying, here's um, the trade that I want to make, and um, here's my limit price, and then have a reasonable guarantee of getting the best possible execution um, in terms of like your individual price improvement, I think is, is a huge advantage for 99% um, of the users. So so I think the, the only people that, that will say like, oh, you're taking independence away from me are um, searchers or uh, market makers or, or snipers that are basically trying, that are very sophisticated and, and know how to play the game better than um, than basically CowSwap solvers do. Well, Alan, let me let me rephrase the question. So I, I just wanted to put it in terms of the, the people supplying the assets. So like when you, with a Uniswap v2 contract, uh, you have all the assets are held within that contract. So the, the LPs, essentially uh, aggregate the fees across the entire LP base. Uh, 
Um, and this changed a little bit with Uniswap v3. Now you can have different ranges. Uh, it does in introduce a bit more complexity and sophistication to that. Uh, and now with CalSwap, we, we essentially move to like full sophistication for the solvers where the, the solvers that are able to quote the best all the time and have the tightest spreads are going to do the most volume uh, and essentially take the, the arbitrage profits or whatever type of profits they're making from, from fulfilling that transaction. Um, and I, I guess the question that I wanted to ask is like, what, what does this mean for like market dynamics where, you know, like with Uniswap 2 and also Uniswap 3, like you can, like me myself as a retail person, uh, who's, who's doesn't have institutional capital behind them can add my funds to an LP contract. They can uh, be used to source liquidity for people. Uh, and I can earn a, uh, revenue from that. Uh, but when the CalSwap model, we kind of gets off laid into this like third party, uh, like again, the, the most complex, the most sophisticated solvers who can essentially balance out their inventory, uh, on what they have on-chain versus maybe off-chain, uh, maybe they're using futures or some sort of perpetuals as well to, to hedge out the risk. Um, and that, that's kind of what I wanted to get into when talking about like the market participant dynamics. Right, okay, so maybe like even one one more step before, like who, who are the market participants um, or who, who, yeah, basically what I think, you know, the, the model takes a lot of complexity away from the user and it also kind of transforms the, um, uh, the the structure in something that is not really the user is kind of uh, has that like the, the question in market making often is the last look who has who has last look who can decide um, whether or not to who has like this free free option problem basically in in in, in a sense um, and in the past when the users were creating their own transactions and trading against Uniswap the user was kind of in full control of their trade intent and their transaction until the very last minute. And there were, we talked about these limits orders earlier or generally requests for quote systems where I, as a user say, oh, look, here's what I want to, to trade. And then the um, market maker can like, you know, basically tell me, oh, here's a quote I give you. And, but as a user, I usually would, at least in the past, also still sign a message and then leave it up to the market maker to execute this trade. So then the market maker would have last look. In CowSwap, um, you now have a system where you kind of neither have either um, the it's, it's still the user that moves first and submits their intent but then solvers compete for the fulfillment of this intent and as soon as you've bid to fulfill the intent um, the system will kind of keep you on the hook and basically make sure that if you back out you can't do that at, at free cost you'll, you'll basically um, have to pay a penalty if you're if you're not fulfilling the um, the quote that you have that you have um, submitted in the uh, in the auction, and I think this makes it actually um, a, a nice system for users in that you know, they don't necessarily have to you know, give market makers that free option, but it also makes it better for market makers compared to like you know, traditional dex aggregators where you had market maker integrations, but you would never know will the user actually execute the trade or are they just quoting until you know maybe my my offer is stale and they can actually pick off on me um, and. Yeah. So, and then also when we when we initially said like um, we take a lot of complexity, I think this actually leads to a lot of um, more non-toxic flow coming through CowSwap. And so, um, on the solver side, um, I think the, the the types of orders you see in the system are, um, yeah, if you're talking like PFOF terms, uh, much more valuable than flow you would see on non-intent trading systems like you know traditional dex aggregators. Yeah, I think we, we've talked about toxic flow a little bit 
and about like loss of a rebalancing as well too. And, you know, for market makers that are providing that have inventory and have to keep it somewhere, uh, it's, it's actually disadvantageous or it's that they're actually at a disadvantage to keep it inside of a, a V2 or even V3 contract. It's just, they don't earn enough fees and they don't control the spread well enough to be able to adjust to market condition, conditions dynamically, like they would inside of a, like a centralized, uh, club. Um, and so working with something like CowSwap, they can, uh, essentially, uh, because they're auctioning for the, the order, uh, they can keep their spreads where they want, right. They can fill the type of price that they want to, and, uh, they can ensure that they remain profitable, uh, versus something like V2 or V3 where you don't have that. And so that, that's, that's just a different, uh, issue for, uh, the, the large market makers that they, they have to work through. Right. And you're also mentioning liquidity providers or retail users being able to um, be liquidity providers in, in like the traditional uni V2 style pools. Um, and that's interesting because for sure, this is one of the biggest innovations that, that Uniswap has, has um, gave us uh, basically making liquidity provision something that anybody can do. And, um, you know, frankly, a lot of tokens would probably not exist if um, every project would have to fight with market makers for the right to pay expensive deals to, to get um, proper liquidity for their token. So that's, that's a huge innovation. Um, at the same time, it, it um, leads, especially now with the rise of intent trade, trade-based intent-based systems um, to this, to this, to the, to the issue of toxicity for liquidity, uh, for passive liquidity providers as more and more um, flow gets taken by those professional market makers kind of before we hit the Uniswap pools, what is left to then go into the um, passive liquidity providers is mainly, well, okay, maybe if, if market makers are out of inventory or if for whatever reason, uh, the price on the um, LP is outdated and therefore uh, advantageous for the trader, but disadvantageous for the passive liquidity provider. So I think um, kind of the next you know, one, two years ago, the, the traders were kind of the victims and it was really difficult to, to or you know, required a lot of sophistication to do trades on Ethereum without being taken advantage of. Thanks to those intent-based um, systems like CalSwap, we now have kind of made it sec more secure for traders to, to truthfully rebuild their slippage tolerance, truthfully rebuild their limit prices and make, um, have like reasonable guarantees that they get the best um, possible execution. And we are actually now looking into doing the same thing for liquidity providers, um, the concept of LVR and, and basically always trading at some outdated price and um, searcher or market maker um, you know, hedging their position on a centralized exchange with the new price, but, but getting to um, access some of your liquidity at outdated prices is a cost to liquidity providers. Mm -hmm. And by lifting um, LPs like Uniswap, uh, pools into the CalSwap batch and into kind of this global, um, you know, coincidence of once optimization problem where we try to maximize the surplus for, for all participants. Uh, we hope that we can um, tackle LVR as one of the next kind of big taxes on, on DeFi users. Yeah, I don't think Uniswap was designed for like large scale market making. You know, we, we see it now as the perfect decks to take care of like long tail assets. Uh, and the assets that need to be liquid and, and need to have these tight spreads, uh, you know, a system like CalSwap where you can have an RFQ system, it, it just makes sense. Not just from the liquidity providers, but also from the users as well, too. And I think that's where we get into uh, some of the, the discussions that you've been having recently about coincidence of once. Uh, so uh, maybe you can explain that a little bit and kind of tie it into how CalSwap is trying to attack that problem. 
Yeah. So, I mean, basically a coincidence of wants just means uh, you want one thing and I mean, basically you want to sell token A for token B and I want to buy token A for token B. So we happen to have opposite ones uh, roughly at the same time, um, non-coordinated. So it's kind of a coincidence. Um, and if you actually look um, on Ethereum today and just check what pairs are traded in every block individually, you'll see that there happens to be a lot of kind of uncoordinated coincidence of once people selling ether on Uniswap and in the same block, somebody's buying ether on Uniswap, maybe across different DEXs. Um, and the goal of CowSwap is basically to get all that order flow into a single auction where we can clear or match trades directly with one another peer to peer um, in a way where we have uh, less gas costs for updating those um, uh, Uniswap pools. We have less, less price impact because we're not moving the price up and then down again. And I mean, first and foremost, we also save the uh, the spread, which is still like you know 0.3% on each side for, for most uh, Uniswap pairs uh, by just literally saying, okay, if we if we both want the opposite thing, then let's just meet at the current spot price and, and trade at midpoint. Yeah. So just to kind of break that down. So when we talk about like beforehand, the old system, everybody's firing off their own transactions. Uh, those can be expensive, especially when gas is high. I mean, you could pay 20, 30, 40, 50, or even more dollars for uh, a Uniswap swap transaction. Uh, but if you, Felix, want to sell one ETH and I want to buy one, I want to buy like two ETH and maybe DeFi Advisor wants to sell an ETH as well too, uh, we could use a system where we all kind of like put our, our wants in, our intents of what we want, and then we could have a more gas efficient way of, of essentially solving that so we all get what we want at the end of the day. Right. And and one I think one thing that is um, where Kasov is, you know, very far ahead of, of its competition is that we don't just look at these kind of obvious coincidence of ones on the same token pair. So if you want to sell USDC for ETH and I want to buy USDC for, C for ETH, okay, it's kind of like obvious that we should just do that peer to peer. Uh, but you can also look at kind of um, all trades in kind of a holistic, multi-dimensional. I think the proper economic term is barter economy, where if I want to buy Ether for Bitcoin and DeFi Advisor wants to buy um, USDC or Bitcoin for for USDC, and and you Sam want to buy uh, Ether for USDC, then even though we don't have a direct coincidence of ones, kind of obviously, we can kind of align all our um, intents and and do a ring trade, and still without using any. Uh, external liquidity satisfy our wants peer-to-peer -peer. yeah and like how how big can this scale like how many users could be a part of a coincidence of once ring transaction yeah i mean there's there's um technical limitations on the ethereum blockchain on how many trades can we settle within a block uh, just because of the the sheer block gas limit um, as far as we can tell right now this is not going to be an issue anytime soon um, i don't have the benchmarks um, at the top of my head right now but when we launched the contract we did some how many orders can be settled within a batch and it's it's like north of uh, 100 uh, and that's not uh, the throughput that ethereum currently has or you know even with a significant growth will will not have anytime soon um, I think the the real um, difficulty here comes from the mathematical complexity of solving that multidimensional optimization problem. Uh, we have, as we were, we still part of Gnosis, tried to build our own uh, solver and kind of yeah. implementation that that finds uh, the the optimal solution. We know that some other solvers um, have also done um, you know, sophisticated research trying to find the global optimum, um, but this problem is not 
tractable. It's, it's definitely um, NP-hard. And so at the end of the day, we need heuristics and we need simplifications. And as soon as you get you know, hundreds or thousands of orders into the batch, you, you cannot solve it to optimality anymore. That being said, um, this is one of the other aspects where the solver competition that we have um, deployed uh, comes in handy. We don't necessarily need to find the global optimum and solve this mathematical problem kind of you know, uh, exactly. Uh, what the protocol defines is a um, approximation or just a, a, a an objective criterion. And then it's up to the solvers to get as close or you know, we don't even know what the optimal value is, but mm. we're just ranking solutions by whoever is better. Um, and even if you cannot find the optimal, as long as you find a very good solution, um, you might win and get the right to execute. So we're kind of solving this NP-hard problem by decentralizing um, into a solver competition. So it, it kind of moves into a, I mean, would you, would you consider this like an off-chain order book matching system? At the moment, yes. I think, um, yes, at the moment, definitely, we have the vast majority of our orders off-chain um, for user experience, gas efficiency, and, and cost reasons. Um, I think we're looking, we're excited about um, dank sharding and, and the possibility of putting, you know, cheap call data on chain um, to potentially, you know, make the order book not part of on-chain state, but at least part of on-chain uh, data availability consensus. Um, but yeah, uh, at the end of the day, we don't have an on-chain order book where every order is stored in the, um, in the Ethereum um, yeah, state. As a... Uh... As our guest Tarek would say, you guys need an L2. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, I think for now, we really just need data availability. Um, and for that, Ethereum hopefully will soon have um, a solution. And, and I think if, if also, if we have like data availability consensus on which orders are available per batch, and then the other thing we need is data availability consensus on which solutions have been proposed for a batch, then it's pretty, um, clear off chain to decide you know was the solution valid has the best solution been picked um, and so all kind of you know slashing or other economic um uh, yeah, post-processing can then happen decentralized without an l2 and so like where does cowswap fit in with other uh, intent-based systems so i know that flashbots is working on suave and uh, there's several other ones that are being built out as well too do you guys just integrate with them at a, at a transactional level um, like, how do you see that that future playing out? Yeah, I think, I mean, specifically for swapping, I, I think there's some intent-based systems that are just, you know, general, you know, we can do all kinds of intents. I think, I think CalSwap historically has come from, let's start with swap intents and then let's extend our intent expression language and do things before or after the swap, or, you know, maybe in the future, even make the swap optional. Um, but yeah, basically we, we converge kind of to the same thing, but, but Specifically, when we think about swap intents, um, I think there's huge network effects that will make it so that there's one um, predominant system in five, maybe 10 years where um, 70, 80, 90% of, of, of retail trades will, will, will happen on just because uh, if you have a coincidence of one system with a thousand users, that's more valuable than if you have a coincidence of one batch with like 10 users. Right. So, so those network effects lead to more price improvements and therefore I think ha have like these, um, you know, kind of, and it takes all, but like there will be, I think a prominent, um, batch auction system on, on Ethereum. And, and I mean, we, we are working hard to make Cow protocol be that one, um, with regards to, to competitors. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've 
seen Anoma and, and we, we are talking to Suave. I think they're positioning themselves more as like an infrastructure solution now. So they, they are potentially um, a candidate for powering um, cloud protocol batches and, and um, decentralizing the auction. Um, other than that, we've seen, I guess, intent-based trading systems such as One Inch Fusion and Uniswap X. Uh, those are not really focusing on um, surplus maximization or like price improvements for the users. They're also not able to do coincidence of once. So I think we're you know, still somewhat ahead of the of the innovation curve um, when it comes to to that competition. Yeah. So, like, how does everything get aggregated? Because you know, we're we're moving to this point where, you know, like. I, I don't even trade with the regular Uniswap front end anymore. I, I just, I, shout out for our listeners. Uh, I just switched to Rabi, and anybody who's not using Rabi, you should. Uh, if you're still using outdated dinosaur MetaMask, uh, you definitely should switch over. And you can use the code Leviathan News to sign up for Rabi. Uh, even if you oh, don't baby. use it, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Baby. <laughs> even if you don't use the code, Rabi's like pretty awesome. And it has this nice little swap feature in there where it has a built in aggregation, both of, uh, like t five or 10 different uh, on-chain aggregators. And then also has uh, access to uh, centralized exchange liquidity as well too. Uh, and so where does where does CowSwap fit in with this like future of aggregation? Yeah, so I would, I would differentiate CowSwap into two parts. One of them is really CowSwap, you know, swap.cow.fi, the, the UI that you currently see, um, which is an entry point for uh, regular users to to place their trade intents and and execute swaps and i think i mean down the line i think those those user facing entry points are going to be um, super important and whoever captures the order flow from you know real retail users will will capture a lot of the value and but then the other part um, of cowswap or you know cow protocol is 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 its underlying mechanism and that's what i would refer to as cow protocol which is really this batching layer where we say we aggregate trade intents we define some rules for um, optimal matching and then we orchestrate and monitor and police this solver competition to um, you know, execute on that on those rules of, of of the game and cow protocol at its core is quite agnostic to where it receives flow from and it's definitely our goal to um, integrate with as many um, flow providers as possible. You know, we, are, we are already um, receiving a good amount of flow from, from DeFi Llama. We are um, integrated into Balancer and we're talking to um, a lot of a lot of other like, integration partners as well because um, the protocol itself doesn't care really which UI is used. Um, then at the same time, whenever you build a product, you need to make sure that it's getting the right adoption and features are used the way that you intend them to use. So, so I think CowSwap itself has done a great job at, at showcasing the power of intents and really driving um, user experience and and yeah, trading experience forward. So, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't count the, the impact and value of our UI short, um, but I would say that there's there are fundamentally two slightly different products that you know could live in. Um, orthogonal to, to one another. Yeah. Well, it's pretty I cool. Use, I <laughs> mostly use the DeFi swap, uh, DeFi Llama swap uh, in the last few months. And honestly, I think that at least half the times it chooses a cow swap uh, for me with the best deal, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree on that. Yeah. <clears throat> and we need to figure out what happens on the other 50% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a winner's uh, answer, you know? That's a real winner's answer. <laughs> <laughs> something something has to be wrong with these uh, with the other half yeah uh, so like how much how much 
can you guys save? I mean, this is a report that came out the other day that you guys posted on Twitter, but what was the figure that, that if everybody was using a coincidence once system, uh, how much would be saved? Yeah, so it's been a quite a long time that we ran a study like this ourselves. Um, I think it was back in 2021 when we kind of, um, or even a little bit earlier when we started really like doubling down on the project and, and deciding also should we do uh, just focus on one-dimensional coincidence of one Sony if you trade on the same pair or should we look into like this barter multi-dimensional world as well um and uh yeah this is the post from from last week right and so i'm quite happy to see one of our solvers um actually come up with a more up-to-date uh, post i haven't been able to to fully fact check the the the, the um actual data that, that i think they've implemented an algorithm that that tries to solve for these um coincidence of once and then ran it um historically on 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 blocks over a certain period of time um, the number that they've come up with is higher than um, what we came, what we what we came up with back in in the day. But it doesn't necessarily surprise me as uh, you know value that's been transacted on chain has gone up and and um, yeah, generally the um, fragmented like we, we, we in a in a world where it's super easy to create a new token and where we have like I don't know ten LSTs representing a staked ether and I don't know twenty coins representing a US dollar. The amount of um, benefit you can get from you know, doing these kind of coincidence of one ring trades over multiple um, token pairs really kind of re-aggregates that, that fragmented liquidity that we see. Um, and so, yeah, the number that, that was reported by Barta is something like $1.5 million of yeah. value uh, daily. So they, they say that in just 25 blocks, it was feasible to match 61.5% of the trading volume and 13.3% of transactions processed through routers. And so if if that was being routed through a full coincidence one system, that efficiency would result in a surplus of $6,150. And that's just 25 blocks, right? Uh, and so if you take that over the, the entire day blocks, which is about 7,150, it's about $1.5 million of fees and other costs that would be saved a day. Yeah. So there's the, when we did the analysis back in the day, we were also thinking about um, the speed uh, trade-off. Like, I mean, some people are really, I want to get my trade done now and I want to land in the next block and, and, and you know, no matter what, like, match me in the next block. But but I think there's a good amount of users that just want to, I don't know, harvest their yield farm returns or enter a position, exit a position, not necessarily in this specific block or not necessarily in the next 30 seconds. Um, and for those users, I think it could a system where you actually um, wait for and don't just look at coincidence of ones in every single block, but over the period of maybe you know two, three, four blocks combined, you will actually see numbers that are much higher um, than those for 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 a single block, and and you might still be able to, to create a product and create a product experience where where traders are actually you know willing to say, well, I don't care if you match me within the next hour or the next day, as long as you can guarantee that. I get uh, the best possible price with the lowest possible cost, then and I'm done with that. Yeah, well, that's a huge amount of money that you guys can potentially save. I mean, I, I hope that you guys can get the system built out and implemented as fast as possible. Uh, we did have a couple of questions from the audience. So uh, Taylor McRae, you asked about the lore of adding the Moo noise to the CasWap app, the greatest innovation to DeFi <laughs> in recent years. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I mean, honestly, the the way that Kelsop came along uh, was was a great joint venture of Gnosis uh, technical team and the uh, kind of more product business development side. Uh, Gnosis, if I don't know if you're familiar, had like you know ha has has a track record of building really really good products, but um, not making it in a way that people actually appreciate or like um, what they're what they're building. So so they have a great. So I wouldn't even say great products. They have great tech. And, and I think things change now. Now they also have great products, but like for a long time, we've been working on, you know, really advanced stuff that two, three years later, people would reinvent and then basically say, oh, this is, and it would take off. <laughs> and then at, at Gnosis, we're always saying, like, didn't we, didn't we, didn't we talk about this two or three years ago? Why did it never take off? So we had this problem of actually making something that people love. And so while we were working on, on what's now CowSwap, which was called Gnosis Protocol version two, um, you know, very, unappealing name we had this uh, great um, brainstorming session with our um, product team business development marketing team and i think our front-end lead was also involved and we've been talking about these coincidence of once and matching people peer-to-peer -peer for a while and you know out of a sudden um i i, I can't even credit who, who it was but out of a sudden somebody just had this idea of like oh let's call it cow swap and let's make it super meme and let's you know have cows <laughs> yeah. everywhere and have a moose sound and all this these kind of things and so I would say, you know, at least to a well, definitely very significant degree that non-technical contribution to the product has been um, the cause of, of a lot of our success. And um, yeah, we even had a little competition in-house where people would record moo sounds at home and then uh, submit them <laughs> and we would pick the best one. Because um, yeah, one of the moo sounds is actually not a, a cow, but a, but a human imitating one. Uh, and then he also had another question about when is CowSwap going to be on Arbitrum? So this is one of the main questions we get uh, when other chains, when L2s, and I mean, Arbitrum is definitely one of the L2s we are looking, or side, side chains, L2s, don't, don't nail me on the, on the definition here, um, to, to that, that, that we are looking into very actively. Um, the, just a little bit of background why it's not as simple as, okay, let's just deploy the contracts and go. Like, you know, what, what are you waiting for? Um, Cowswap has a pretty complex off-chain um, infrastructure and off-chain mechanism. We have the off-chain order book, we have the solvers, we have a solution submission that needs to happen, we have the ranking, we have rewards that we're paying out to those solvers. And all those systems uh, take uh, resources and, and also require maintenance when multiplied to many chains. And so one of the things we're trying to do right now is really like nail the uh, product and user experience on mainnet make sure that we have um, you know, best possible execution, as little delays as possible, support as many tokens, have the best solver competition, the best reward structure, the best mechanism. And then um, also we just started um, charging a protocol fee to make sure that our unit economics are solid. And then with that foundation, go and multiply and scale on, on, on many chains. I think what we've seen uh, some of the competition do is um, just go to multi-chains before the product was fully, I mean, the product is ready, but before the product was like fully optimized and fully um, uh, perfected. And and um, that has, what we've observed, taken a lot of focus away from, from those teams and they've been able to, um, they've not been able to move as fast afterwards. That being said, I think uh, to just give a date in Q2 this 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 year, we are we are we want to um, deploy in at least one other network, and then we'll see um, how much maintenance effort, how much extra work this actually is. And and I mean, in theory, or like you know, what what we would like to do is be on all EVM compatible chains as soon as possible. Um, we're just trying to make sure that we are able to deliver the the great product experience we have on mainnet um, without jeopardizing you know our um 
operational capacities and and yeah, the other complexity that we have to deal with and also liquidity is uh, pretty much uh, like like the real liquidity is on uh, mainnet anyway I mean, yeah anyway you look at it you know you know yeah. what i mean like it's true and i think that uh, for me for sure as an uh, like uh, mostly i uh, use arbitrum and it will be great if uh, if and when cowswap is uh, already there but if i'm trying to look at it uh, from uh, cowswap uh, eyes and say the move myself so uh, like uh, I, I don't know this is not uh, this is not that interesting uh, business-wise because uh, like the difference in liquidity is like magnitudes. Well, I mean, CowSwap, just based on how it's built, should be able to fill larger transactions at better rates than what you would find through existing LPs on, on Uniswap or Curve, just because of the size, right? Like, you know, because they can source liquidity from uh, centralized exchanges or from private inventory, uh, you know, making those swaps should be scalable into the hundreds of millions right so, but one 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 thing that's like very important for coincidence of once also is the velocity not necessarily i mean the size is important for the absolute money saved but then um the you know how many traders there are within a batch um really uh, to have some uh, value add it doesn't really matter how much these people are trading and we do realize that right now um Cowswap is used like our our average trade size is significantly higher than on some of our competitors products and so we do realize that um you know smaller retail users are you know, we, we are lacking behind and and yeah we, we definitely there's no structural reason to to exclude any any user group so we we definitely would you know we want to be on all these chains and um yes arbitrum is of course one of the the ones that we're looking into right now yeah well great well felix thank you for coming on today i learned a lot uh about coincidence once and also CalSwap as well too uh where can people find you um, so, I mean, Cowswap, you, we have a Discord. Uh, we can find um, all of us, all of the core developers and our community and contributors on, on Discord. Uh, me personally, you can find me on, on Twitter. Um, my handle is fleupold underscore. So, um, Leupold underscore. And yeah, we also are Cowswap on Twitter and yeah, have a forum where we discuss our strategy and you know recent developments, especially also around um, how we can do MEV protection, not just for swappers, but also for LP providers, some of the things that we are working on right now, which is quite exciting. And yeah, thanks thanks so much for having me. It was, it was great talking to you guys. Cool. Thanks for coming, man. It was cool. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in at home. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we have an interview with uh, Noct is coming on. Uh, so yeah, Isekai is coming on to, uh, tomorrow. Yeah. We'll talk to the Isekai team, hopefully. So Noct from well, Jonestown, also Isekai. Uh, so yeah, tune in for that and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye folks. Thank you very much.